protesters in the eastern port of Benghazi called for a day of rage against the rule of dictator Muammar Gaddafi. In the wake of uprisings in Tunisia and Egypt, Colonel Gaddafi attempted to crush the rebellion, only for rebel soldiers to take hold of the city. Soon, a wave of anti-Gaddafi feeling spread across the country with the port city at the movement's centre. Within days, Colonel Gaddafi hit back, issuing a call for his supporters to respond to the liars and dogs. Libya then descended into open warfare as armed rebels, gaining momentum, headed west from Benghazi in an attempt to topple the Libyan leader. However, despite early gains, the rebels were soon beaten back by Gaddafi's better equipped forces. By March the 15th, the rebellion was seemingly in tatters, and a humanitarian crisis loomed large as loyalist soldiers massed outside Benghazi promising retribution. With the world watching in fear, the United Nations acted. The Security Council has authorized the use of force, including enforcement of a no-fly zone, to protect civilians and civilian areas targeted by Colonel Gaddafi, his intelligence and security forces, and his mercenaries. Welcome to Third Culture Block, a place where we have fun, creative, and sometimes serious conversations about everyday experiences that shape the stories in our corner of the human narrative. I'm Ahmed Mustafa. I'm Wissar Jibril. And I'm Mohammed Ismail. Ten, ten years. Ten years. Ten That's years. actually ten crazy. Years. I don't know. I do feel like every year it just kind of runs together at this point. So I think this is something that we really need to examine, right? Because I remember the very first anniversary oh yeah. my god just the, the the euphoria in the air mm-hmm. of like guys mm-hmm. we've done it not only have we done it but it's been a year and it's still going and you know it's we're going in the right direction and yeah. just the, the the purity of it all and the fact that libyans were f- for a very short period of time all on the same page yeah they all had the same goal they all knew that they suffered greatly in order to achieve what they had achieved and mm. you know they rolled up their sleeves and like Khalas, you know it's it's not over yet but god damn it we're doing well you know yeah that just overall excitement in the air was so palpable and just to kind of see it, like like you said, uh, Ahmed, by you know, it kind of just eventually it just all meshed into one, and and I feel that happened when the euphoria started falling and people started getting just tired, you know, just the overall exhaustion of, you know what? Yes, we're not quite there yet, but you know what? I I bet by next year we're going to be there, and then the second year goes by, and then the third year, and the fourth year. One thing to say, like, um, is that we didn't super celebrate the first one right it was it was the first anniversary that the celebrations kind of happened right because much like and that got me thinking about every other holiday where it's like independence day or whatever we're celebrating like usually it's a horrible day something like awful happened um 
but we're celebrating it as the beginning of like big changes. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting how just like a year later, we're able to, to celebrate it. Celebrate it, right? It, it 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 seems distant enough that it's become you know this first step of a big machine of of change, and then like you're saying, that changes with the exhaustion. The exhaustion and. Um, to add it on, you have all these like subdivisions of power hungry humans um, that just seem to have increased. It's still a work in progress because in the beginning we did say that was just the fight. Like now it's the Thorat Largul, the 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 revolution of the mind, and so it's in the beginning there was this common understanding that it's a like we got to hit rock bottom before it gets better. Right. Mm -hmm. And that there's still a lot of struggle ahead and a lot of work to be done. And I don't blame Libyans. We are 10 years out from that and people are exhausted and it's really hard to keep morale up. But 17th of February is here. It marks 10 years. We use the time to reflect on why it happened what we weren't able to achieve before before um, February 17th and what people are able to do now. Yes, there is still like some unrest happening here and there. Yes, it's like it's a little bit of um, a salad, a slapa, cocktail, khalta, but I feel like, or at least for me, right, one thing that I have noticed um, coming out of the revolution was, you know, one big thing that the revolution was started off was people expressing their demands for, like, basic human rights. And they came out to the street and they expressed how they felt, what they deserved. I did a little um, project about it or, like, a, a little writing class thing about it in 2014 actually where after the revolution i noticed a huge artistic renaissance kind of flourishing um people where people had the means to express themselves creatively there was this big artist boom everyone is a photographer now everyone is a painter everyone is this everyone is that like so there were i remember like when i was there i was a little irritated at like okay yeah you buy a camera, you're a photographer now. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. But when you take a step back and think about it, people were not able to do what they're doing now before. Um, you have art galleries, you have um, or like exhibitions that are open to the public. There's no longer just like a like a like a small group of the elite you know kind of thing where yeah i mean uh, that's like been like under... a huge trend in libya where it's like the the silent ma majority right it's yeah. like all these like elite people who and, but the, the ones who were affiliated with the Gaddafi regime were the ones who who for the most part were able to be among that like proper elite mm -hmm. um right mm -hmm. for the most part i will not generalize i will not i'm not gonna say all everyone but that was a good chunk of it right so only those who were among the regime really, quote unquote, benefited from 
power. But even then, like, the, the, the whole point of, like, the 17th of February was people coming out to the streets, expressing themselves, like, trying to get human rights after 42 years of, mm-hmm. like, this authoritarian dictatorship. Like, that expression kind of, it makes sense to kick off all of this other artistic expression. Mm-hmm. And even if those elite had the privilege to pursue arts and pursue creative work, um, they couldn't do anti-Qaddafi Mm-mm. work, right? They couldn't. No. They couldn't be couldn't a political satire us. or anything yeah. of like outside of the values that have been set by Qaddafi uh, at the time, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that that had opened up so much afterwards. I guess I wasn't as connected to the artistic scene in Libya, which just goes to show that humans are innately creative creatures you know given the chance every single libyan was expressing themselves differently some people went into spoken word other people went into photography some people went into graffiti and painting some Mm -hmm. people went into Mm -hmm. poetry other people went into acting a lot of people set up production houses and it all just went to show that there was this just underlying brewing creativity that had no outlet because for 42 years there was only one narrative to Libya and it reached Mm -hmm. international level where if you said you were from Libya, people like, oh, Gaddafi, because that was the narrative. That's all people knew. But all of a sudden, this explosion came about. And even though I'm Libyan, I was pleasantly surprised by the level of creativity that we have in our country. These people never had the opportunity to not only express themselves, but to nurture their artwork. Yeah, moreover, the opportunity to actually share that artwork on social media with little... um, With no fear. Yeah, little to no fear, right? And I think that's very very much rooted in uh, 17th of February as well, because social media was the vehicle that allowed the revolution to happen, right? The internet was shut off and um, people were being oppressed and the messaging was being closed out to the rest of the world, but people were able to maintain contact with governments outside of Libya, with news outlets outside of Libya, strictly through social media. So that empowerment of the social media vehicle and then being able to share your artwork through that, it's, it's just kind of another... Like this, like today, just as a as an example, there was a post of snow happening in eastern Libya, and like I was like, oh my god, that's a thing. It's like ah, oh. and then our friend was like, yeah, no, that's always happened in the mountains over there. It's just no one had social media, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't really shared out. I was like, oh, that's crazy. Like Libya is amazing. Exactly, there are parts of Libya that I had never seen before until the uprising happened. And all of a sudden, you have people from Sebha posting pictures. I'm like, wait, what? And people from yeah. from Ghat in the in the south. And it is just the most yeah. beautiful, beautiful landscapes. And people from the Green Mountain in the east. And people from and people from Nafusa Mountain in the west. And we just have stunning vistas. And the fact that we never were exposed to this tells you that the previous regime just wanted everything to be centered around them because they knew if we were allowed to express ourselves creatively be it as simple as posting a picture of our hometown it would create this 
beautiful harmony and unity between us where we're like oh wow it's it's snowing in libya east libya you know what next year i'm gonna plan a trip where i i head out there when it's snowing so i can see it for myself and then next year you go you go over there and you go to the you go to east libya and you're from the west and you make a friend from from east libya and then next year they're like you know what next year why don't you come over to west west libya and i'll show you around my hometown and right. there's this yeah. organic unity that happens with that but when the narrative is just this is who you are to look up to and here's his poster everywhere you're too afraid to do anything else other than look up at this poster that's you know plastered before you on march the 19th nato intervened to impose a no-fly zone hitting Gaddafi targets in order to protect civilians from the impending attacks. The removal of the regime's air advantage then provoked four long months of stalemate as a bitter civil war gripped Libya. By the end of July, the rebels, now supported by British Apache attack helicopters, had regrouped and launched a new offensive. By August the 20th, they had reached Tripoli as troops loyal to Gaddafi prepared to fight to the very end. However, it took just three days for the capital to fall as Gaddafi's infamous compound was occupied by jubilant rebels. As celebrations continued, Libya's National Transitional Council leaders flew in from Benghazi to claim the seat of power. But the fight was not yet over as the search for Gaddafi began. And one really huge thing that came out of the the revolution was the rise of the Amaziri culture or bringing back the Amaziri culture and um, not necessarily, not that it was like fully gone, but Gaddafi tried his hardest to diminish the Amazigh. Like he cut off the language, he cut off the culture, like the flourishing exposure, I guess, of the Amaziri culture really shined. I learned more about the Amaziri culture after the revolution than I did before the revolution. So I knew that Amazir, the Amazir existed. We had um, family friends back in the day um, that were Amaziri and um, and that was my, that was like as far as my exposure was, was that, oh, there are people in Libya who speak a different language than Arbi, the end, you know? And, um, but then the revolution happened and you really got to properly dive into what it means to be Amaziri, what the historical aspect of our culture, where like certain things derived from and the influence and all of that. Um, and just knowing where Libya started, like they are the indigenous people of, of North Africa and, uh, they deserve to be, to be known, you know? And so... I think that was one huge thing, one huge positive outcome of it. And so you have people more interested in the Amazigh culture. So um, I know that there is this, uh, it's like a bed and breakfast 
in Yafrin that recently, um, I think last year they, they opened up where you can book rooms in this traditional um, um, mountain house in Yafrin and um, you can like live the full um, mountain experience and, and it just like that's incredible. These kind of things did not exist like this before in a sense where it was like you were saying earlier that it was just really controlled and really hushed and really, you know. Doesn't that annoy you knowing that this stuff always existed in Libya and yet we knew yeah. nothing about it. And because of that, Absolutely. we never really had anything. And this is speaking strictly for us Libyans living outside. We never had anything to kind of say, yeah, this is Libya. This is what we have. This is what we have to offer to the world. It was always, yeah, it's run by a military dictatorship and that's what we know. Yeah, the Italians colonized us. Yeah, the Romans and the Greek were here too at once upon a time, but that's pretty much it. Like that's that was yeah. as far as knowledge goes. And I just, so yeah, I just, I find that part of it to be truly amazing. The fact that there are other activities to do, you know. Um, you you have the ability to plan a weekend trip outside of your own city. And that on its own is, like, mind-boggling. Because growing up, when we would go back to Libya over the summers, I would be just stuck at home because there's nothing to do, nowhere to go. And then I feel like when I moved there and after the revolution, there was an increase in family-friendly cafes and when i say family-friendly like it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go with just your family but it's in a sense where girls and women could go confidently and freely and it be a normal thing because before the revolution if you're going to the gahwa if you're going to the cafe you're a guy going to a cafe and most of the time it's like either those those like on the side you know um get your macchiato cup and leave or it's like those big cafes that were coffee tea and hookah argila you know Mm -hmm. and so women did not go to cafes but now when i was there we had just started the normalizing co-ed hangouts publicly in cafes right and so from that it just kind of like opened that whole world of of being able to live a normal life not just home 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 your aunt's house your uncle's house grandma's house home 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 you know the volunteering increased and like all these organizations all these charity organizations all like there was so much that was that was happening and when i left there were just like a handful of cafes but it was still like whoa you can you have options right now Tripoli I will speak on behalf of Tripoli because that's what I know you ha- it's just overpouring with cafes and restaurants and so you have an abundance of places to go um it's like there's that book like everybody has a podcast no everybody has a cafe <laughs> everybody has a cafe in in, in Tripoli and like sometimes people are like, oh, someone has money and you just invest in a cafe and blah, bada bing, bada boom. So some people got irritated by that. But I still think that like 
that on its own is a step forward. It's like there are things to do, places to go that it's just like a step forward in that sense. And then also another thing, like expeditions and art galleries and art shows and and activities and like there are like there are a handful of organizations that are really really trying to push having these safe courageous space entities and and um and 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 to 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 create opportunity for young thriving artists um or young emerging artists to have a place to express themselves outside of um, the, the art department in the university, you know? And, um, and like, I just, when I was there back in 2012, 2013, um, I was, I worked with the Ariti Foundation for Arts and Culture, and um, we did a lot of different um a lot of different uh, activities and a lot of different events to help expose the public to different forms of art. Art is not just a painting or just a photograph. Like there was different forms of art and different ways to to kind of engage the public. And one big event, it was like an annual event, um, was the the video art show. So the first video art show was we had a bunch of um a bunch of projectors and we displayed video art from different various artists from around um, the MENA region um, or the Swana region um and these videos were displayed on the walls of the old city part of it was exposing the public to um to a different form of art it's not just like cinematography it's like video art it's a specific you know um creative outlet using video medium right um very abstract very um contemporary form of 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 using video and then you have so that's one way one thing is exposing video art not only was it um exposing the public to a new form of art but it was also a form of a scavenger hunt people for the first time walked around the streets of the old city and not just the like the first part of the old city but all around it in the nighttime which the old city in on itself not a lot of people wander around its streets um let alone in the nighttime because it's like dangerous or something mm. or? dangerous taboo like not it's because like the old residents of the, of the old city moved out and so you have a lot of like foreign um immigrants who are living there so it's just like nobody goes there as much anymore right oh. so past the gold market there's quote-unquote like not much more for people to see in a way right so it was kind of bringing them back to the old city and, and it was just this beautiful and you had like hundreds hundreds of people um show up to this event because it was a cultural event that was open to the public you didn't have to pay for entrance you didn't have to not nothing it was a cultural event that you can just show up to right so it was just an amazing experience right so that was 
a beautiful success. So why do you think it was a major success with with the Libyans there? Do you think uh, it was like connected with um, what we were talking about earlier, like family activities and like more yeah. of that openness? Or? Yeah. So it, it was it was in a sense where it made people more intrigued to see what else is out there. It piqued their curiosities. It piqued their curiosities. But it was also like, even if, even if the videos didn't resonate with you or mm. even if like you didn't understand some or whatever it was still a an event to go to that the whole family can go to mm. and i feel like it kind of pushed people forward to like even like the youth right some people after after this started their own organizations or like it, it kind of gave them confidence to go into video art and it just like the the it 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 sparked something mm-hmm. right um i think if i'm going to be very frank because it was it was a such a large scale we had posters we had flyers like it was throughout everywhere you know and um this is just like in Tripoli. This though, is just right? in Tripoli. Yeah. Did you end up having like a lot of people join up afterwards, or like a like uh, a couple like people asking about it, or was... people people continue to ask about it. Um, it, I remember there was also like news coverage of oh, wow. it, like with local um, news. Oh wow! And um, so this is like a big deal, like going was, into the old city. Is is a big? It was a big event, mm-hmm. right? And um, and so yeah, so it just kind of like it gave people a sense of like I, I don't mean to say it in like an insensitive way or in like a western backwards way but you there's always this constant stigma of everyone wanting like Libya is not like the rest of the world or or like we don't have anything in Libya like people have to travel right. for them to experience something remotely close to this because if we go back to what I was saying earlier before any cultural events were for the elite, mm-hmm. right? For the most part. Right. Which leads to this, the year after that video art show, number two, was in the Sarai al-Hamra, the red castle. That's just like right at the edge of the old city um, to the side of Martyr Square. And that one was amazing because... For the first time in history, it was open to the public. Yeah, I'd been going to um, Libya like every summer, every other summer, probably my most of my life, and up until I guess like the mid two thousands, and I have never been inside that building. Yeah. Um, because it is kind of like this elite kind of um, culture, culturally relevant but exclusive. Um, yeah. Because, like, the government uh, took over it and stuff. And and you had, like, in the lower level, there was the Matav. There was, like, a little museum mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, there was, yeah. Right? But to go up in the Saraya, in the courtyards, and, and where the, the, the mast is and everything, like, nobody went there. Back in the day, there were the cultural events um, in the Saraya al-Hamra, but... They were a limited private audience that you had to receive an invitation to go to. But this event was significant because everybody wanted to go inside the Saraya and see what's inside. But yeah, just to give some context, like this is an enormous kind of like public square. Think like Agora in the middle of Tripoli. Like there is just like 
traffic going all around it, your moments from the coast, you can just like get to the beach from there. Like, and right on the corner of the main street that goes by the, the square is this enormous red castle. Like it's like a castle surrounded by like a mini moat. Like mm-hmm. it's glorious and there's so much photography of it. But most Libyans have not seen like that castle outside of like a little lobby area that is sometimes open that you have to pay for to see some like small museum things at the bottom it's not even in, in the bottom like, like no it's like it's like the like the mud room of, yeah. the, of the castle yeah, so like the the so the doors of the castle were open to the public once again you didn't have to buy a ticket you didn't have to it just like you saw a sign you right. saw an advertisement for this event saw the just time and in. place you just you come you show up bring your family and come and so it was that on its own I think was one of the most magical nights. It was also my last night in Libya. So um, it was really, it was, yeah. What an ending. There you go. I, it's was it was the cap. It was just like the cherry on top. And it was like, it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And once again, at night, a a cultural event where people show up, um, and just and, showing like the, yeah. like like the trust, you know. Yeah. People having these events at night and in, in close quarters and different like like places without any sort of you know entry management or or tracking. It's just you wouldn't see that today. Fun fact. So when we were planning the event, we we had like we obviously went in multiple times before to scope things, to know, mm-hmm. to map it out, to know where to put each installation. Right. Um there was this room that had like a leaking ceiling. And y'all it had dinosaur bones in there what? that are just sitting in crates. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dinosaur bones that, in you crates. You didn't even, that, there was no incremental rise to that. It was just zero, 100. <laughs> we were, we're in a room, the, the ceiling's leaking. Also, dinosaur Di- bones. Like, I just remember being furious. There are dinosaur bones in there. I just want everybody to know that. With various reports of his whereabouts seemingly at odds with one another, Gaddafi tried to inspire loyalist troops into a war of bees. Fighting moved to his hometown, the loyalist stronghold of Sirte, and it became increasingly bitter through September and into October. But suddenly, News emerged that as he attempted to flee the Rabuk city, Gaddafi had been captured and killed in what were desperate scenes. One month later, his notorious son Saif was captured alive near the border with Niger. With the celebrations that marked Gaddafi's fall now faded, the country faces great uncertainty, but hope abounds. In the greater narrative of like world history, being able to have like these artifacts and like this is just further evidence of history. And like history is so reliant on like actually finding like um, 
artifacts and yeah. finding you know records of of thing even if like if it's for carbon dating or whatever yeah and so it's it's kind of this disregard or inability to invest in like the arts and and creative things that makes history very um i guess single threaded like it's like the cultures that were the most successful with the most money who had the most privilege were able to capture um document document, maintain uh, uh, excavate history uh for themselves you know like there could be so much more to the story but we just don't have access to it so a friend of a friend invited us into the old city and he took us on a tour along the rampart of the wall and you just see this amazing view of Mata Square and uh, Tripoli is one of the most underrated cities mm-hmm. when it comes to beauty mm-hmm. and there's a reason why in you know historically speaking it was called the mermaid of the Mediterranean yeah. oh what yeah yeah and even there we were privy to some old and i mean ancient artifacts found in libya dug up in libya and i was just astounded as as to the amount of history not only are some of the historical stuff hidden away but also i feel like culturally documentation and like and story gathering is like re was really difficult beforehand i remember like earlier in the podcast like muhammad you were talking about the willingness of people to be recorded um, when you were like trying to record them before and after uh, the revolution. There really was. Um, and in fact, just to go back to my time there in, in 2011, it was so easy for me to walk around Mata Square, public spaces around the city with not only my camera, but also this this huge video stabilizer and I was just met with smiles by everyone men women children it didn't matter people were just so happy to be out and about and there was this air and I know it sounds very cheesy but there was a genuine air of freedom yeah it's almost as if something had been lifted from the collective consciousness of the people there where people Mm. could finally breathe yeah so when they came out and, you know, they were just out with other Libyans and Libyans from the east were in Tripoli, Libyans from the south were in Tripoli. They were all celebrating the newfound freedom of their capital city. And when they see people with cameras, they would smile and yeah. they would actually come into the shot and they would stop posing for you. Yeah, start, and they would, if you're recording videos, they'd be like, they'll be eager. They'd be like, yeah, I want to talk. I've got things to say. And it was just a fantastic time because I was able to collect so much material. Now, when I started recording initially, it was never for the purpose of a documentary. It was just because this was an incredible moment and I wanted to document it. But by the time I left, I realized that I actually had a decent amount of material where it could be made a decent amount of material, which could be turned into a documentary. Right. And I know, unfortunately, I've been kind of putting it off every year. Yeah. But recently, I was I was thinking about it again, and you know, with everything that's going on in Libya 
And, you know, there's even a discussion now as to whether um, the Arab Spring was a failure. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't agree with that. I don't subscribe to that notion. To show the documentary now, it would change the purpose of it. So had it been released in 2011, say, it would have been, hey, guys, do you remember that thing we did a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago? Here's a recap. <laughs> Here's right, a highlight reel. Right, yeah. right, right. Whereas... Whereas if it's released today, 10 years later, it's going to be like, hey, guys, do you remember that thing we did a while ago? Ten years and we ago. all suffered and, and we all paid for and, you know, we all sacrificed greatly for some more than others. Right. Do you remember what we did? Do you remember why we did it? OK, where are we today? Right. And it would be used almost as if like a, it's like a contrasting tool of why we hit the streets in the first place and where we've ended up today. Yeah, and I mean, we take advantage of a lot of the change that has happened in that time. I I don't think that we, like like we started the episode, saying how like all the years have kind of like blended together. Mm -hmm. Even in the stories that we're telling, it wasn't, it was probably days before that like revolution, that the revolution started, that this main square we're talking about this centerpiece in the in downtown of tripoli was called the green square right it was like named after Gaddafi's uh, main legislative book right mm-hmm. and it it in the process of this revolution it was renamed to the martyr square right to remember all the people who lost their lives to get to this point in history and i i think the, your documentary is just like a one of a kind capturing of that those of the pain at that time, but how happy people were despite it all. Whereas now it's like maybe more, maybe less pain, but there's I, I don't perceive it as like a celebration or a uh, independence, right? It's it's like infighting right now. It was called Mata Square yeah. before the Green Square. Yeah. Oh, so, so it was. It was... It was Martyr um, Square yeah. before. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay, because I only ever knew it as the Green Square when I came. Yeah, no, before Gaddafi, it was originally the Martyr Square. Really? Yep. Okay. And so. the flag and the flag that we have today is actually the flag the we had before flag. Gaddafi. Yeah, I knew about the flag. I didn't know about the Martyr Square. I, I didn't know that it was called the Martyr Square before, and that's because, like, the version of Libya that I knew of, like, the history, yes. history and, like, the narrative that I had access to was yes. just, like, Gaddafi times you know and that just goes to show the power of his propaganda yeah. of my version of history is the history that you will learn and it's, yeah. it's the history that was taught to us in schools and even those of us living outside of Libya like I went to a Libyan school in the UK right we didn't escape that curriculum yeah. we were force-fed that right that narrative of we were living in the dark ages we had no culture we had no history we had no heroes within our history and all of a sudden out of the desert came this glorious man who saved us and dragged us into civilization and saved us from the occupying forces right when in actual fact if you read half a page of any history book we had plenty we were at the forefront of many civilizations Mm -hmm. A lot of civilizations considered Libya to be an incredibly strategic place. And even the name, for example, my hometown of Al-Khums, we have the ruins of Leptis Magna. Leptis Minor 
is in Italy. Yeah. So, so Leptis Major is in Libya. Yeah. That's how important it was. <laughs> we made it. And one of... Yeah. <laughs> Look, Ma. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, I mean, like, they're, like, to think that the Roman Empire is, like, one of their main combatants, I think, were the Carthaginians or something, and a main ally of the Carthaginians were the Libyans, right? And so the Libyans were, like part of the reason the Romans couldn't flank like the Carthaginians and take the coast because you hit the coast of North Africa and you're just met by Libyans and they're just going to mess you up. <laughs> um, and like, like to think of like the superpower throughout history, the Roman empire, right? Like nothing can topple the Roman empire. Like one of their main combatants, one misstep in a battle and you know, they, they could have, they could have had like, catastrophic failure i mean uh, losses at the hands of libyans and the carthaginians history itself could have been completely changed but yeah like and so it was a big deal when they hit like libya and they were able to make leptis like magna right yeah. or whatever because it's like <laughs> we made it holy crap <laughs> there's actually a very famous roman emperor who was born in libya in the, the city of Al-Khums oh by the name of uh, septimius severus yeah. what and when he was emperor his empire stretched all the way to britain what the amount of history that we have is insane but we we were never taught any of it uh ahmed yes muhammad um do you know what time it is actually i i don't we're just kind of locked in this tent I, i can't see the sun or the moon or my phone um it's so weird because I feel like, I feel like we're, we're meant to be doing something right now. I don't know. Yeah, I have the time, guys. Oh, I know what time. It is. <gasps> what time is it? Before? It's question time. Oh, nailed it first time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> One take. So we do have a really interesting question. Do you guys celebrate the seventeenth of February as an Independence Day? Well, that's interesting. Um, I feel like there's a lot of ways you can answer that, but I feel like um, for me, myself, and I, with Saad Jibreel, um, I don't necessarily celebrate it as an Independence Day. Um, I think I celebrate it more as like a Memorial Day kind of thing of, of like a memory of a spark or a memory of like the the beginning or um i don't i don't yeah i don't think it's like the independence day i don't think we gained freedom that day i feel like if any day for me to be celebrated from my experience as an independence day it would be the day Gaddafi was killed mark the end of an era mark literally the, yeah <laughs> you know like so i feel like that was that would be independence in, in its way but 17th of february is is definitely like yeah, it's just like it's a Memorial Day for me. Honestly. So it's not July 4th. It's not Juneteenth. It's not Memorial mm-hmm. Day. Uh, it's more like a, like a, oh, I mean, not Veterans Day. It's more like it's a Memorial, Memorial Day, Day kind yeah. of situation. Because it's not. But like you're still going to like make Asida for that day. I mean, yeah, I, I would celebrate it. Right. I feel like I haven't celebrated as hardcore as I used to, but. I, I still would be very thoughtful about it. It's more of like a Memorial Day. Yeah. Well, I guess um, how did you used to celebrate it? How? There would be these like celebration 
parties or like when we were in Libya, mm-hmm. we just hit the um, Martyr Square and just like everyone's doing fireworks or like you got Libyan Thoda revolution music bopping, you know, like stuff like that. But I feel like now it's just so I think that's why now it's turned into a Memorial Day for me. It's I don't celebrate it as hardcore. I don't go to a party. I don't see a reason for me to go to a party it's just kind of like a, a day of reflection I guess because when I think about the things that happened on that day I get chills looking back hearing the sounds of like those days that was before the 17th actually but um, those initial spark days have this chill to them so it's more self reflection of how far have we come what is still needs to be done what can be done what has been lost what can be saved and stuff like that i think for me Mm -hmm. so libya gained independence from italy on the 10th of february and it gained independence or it was released from british and french oversight on the 24th of december Mm -hmm. so i don't think 17th of february will ever be viewed as an independence day by any libyan yeah. It will always be viewed, like you said, a memorial or mm-hmm. a day of reflection, a day of remembrance, a mm-hmm. day of gratitude mm-hmm. for those who sacrificed. It almost feels like a like a renaissance, right? It's not like there's like not a day that you se- that you uh, celebrate the renaissance, but like, oh, this period of time happened around when this right. like happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, cuz uh, thinking about like February was busy for Libya, right? We did we, <laughs> we got the Italians out. We took uh, Gaddafi and and uh, or started yeah. that in February. It's, you know. It's 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 my birthday in February. I mean, there's a lot of stuff for There's Libya's a lot of important things happening in February, <laughs> right? Essential. One really important thing that I do want to kind of almost like a disclaimer or anything because I do want to be sensitive and I do understand that us living outside of Libya and talking about Libya is a privilege. And we are privileged to be comfortable in our tent with our abundance of electricity. Like we 100% understand and do not belittle the troubles and the, um, the obstacles people are facing living their day-to-day lives in Libya right now. I think it's very important to address that we are highlighting the positive outcomes that came after the revolution, not to belittle any hardships. So we're not we're not trying to speak on behalf of every Libyan. We're not trying to paint it as one big rainbow honky dory, beautiful and dandy situation. Um the Libyan people are still facing struggles to this day, but also I feel that it's not fair to only focus on the negatives when there are positives happening. Even if it's in the grand scheme of things, um, some people may think that there are few positive things. It's still some positive outcomes that kind of help keep up some sort of hope for a future. And I think that's something that's important to think about and consider and remember, you know? So even as like going back to that question where it's like that I I see it as more of a remembrance day or a memorial day, it's 
So it's it's remembering why this whole mess that we're in right now started in hopes to um, to still continue to work and do the work and push for a better future. Knowing, I feel like after, there's like a positive to it and a negative to it. Like after they toppled Gaddafi, they're like, oh, nobody can control us now. So like now at least they know their worth. Like Libyan people know their worth and will try to combat anything that brings them down more because i don't think I, I feel like when people say they wish like the, if they wish we were back in gaddafi days right but if you like really really dissect it i feel like they had this taste like 2000 2012 2013 2012 especially was like the golden days right and i feel like when thinking back at those days like you can see what the potential could have been what what the country potentially could be um, and I feel like slowly but surely, like with a lot of elbow grease, it could be something. The notion of a free Libya seemed impossible. But then the Libyan people rose up and demanded their rights. For four decades, the Gaddafi regime ruled the Libyan people with an iron fist. Today, we can definitively say that the Gaddafi regime has come to an end. The dark shadow of tyranny has been lifted, and with this enormous promise, the Libyan people now have a great responsibility to build an inclusive and tolerant and democratic Libya that stands as the ultimate rebuke to Gaddafi's dictatorship. Thank you so much for listening in. We look forward to hearing more from y'all. Look out for our posts on our Twitter and Instagram pages, both Third Culture Block with a three. This is Ahmed Mustafa, Wissal Jibril, and Mohammed Ismail.